It's happening. Thank you so much for checking out the first ever episode of Sweater Talk, where we're all about the layers. I just wrapped up an amazing interview with Evan, a good friend of mine from Ryerson's MDM program. Uh, that was our masters together. And boy, he is just a phenomenal conversationalist. Uh, we covered such topics as the functionality of sweaters, the versatility of sweaters, and just the whole gamut. So again, thank you so much for checking out Sweater Talk. It's been a long time coming. I'm super excited about it, and I'm super excited about what's to come. I've been fortunate enough to uh, have a few folks uh, step up and fill uh, fill the guest seat. Um, if you have any recommendations, any questions, concerns, comments, uh, what have you, give me a shout, either through uh, my personal Facebook through the website sweater talk hopefully with each podcast we'll have a, a blog to go with it just to give you a little bit of a setup so yeah i guess oh and also figured out a, a sign off yet so if you could help me out with that i've been thinking about maybe doing something from uh the truman show i don't know good afternoon good evening good night or uh maybe a sign off like uh all weather is sweater weather if you put your mind to it uh, corny like that but yeah as you'll hear in the interview this podcast is fairly uh, free flowing so uh, if you wish to speak about something I'm more than happy to uh, speak with you on that think of sweater talk as your soapbox so that you get to express uh, whatever you feel however you feel in a very relaxed casual environment so with that I'll uh, I'll take a break from this and we'll get right into the interview I had with Evan just this morning. Awesome. Again, I can't express how thankful I am. Sorry for going on and on, but uh, okay, here we go for real this time. I hope you've had a fantastic day, evening, morning, night. Whenever you're listening to this, I just hope you've been fantastic. <laughs> and for real this time, here we go. Howdy, howdy. What a time to pick up right as the 5-0 come for you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Eh? I got to squeak this one in then. Mm, how, Mr. Harry, Mr. Dearden, how are you, <laughs> sir? Oh, I can't complain. This is uh, optimum uh, uh, sweater weather, to say the least. So uh, I'm a happy, happy camper. I'd say uh, so. How are you doing? Man, I'm, I'm so happy to be talking to you. I'm, uh, I was... I was thrilled when you agreed to put aside some time for, for your sweater. I would call us sweater brothers. I could say we're kind of uh, 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 disciples of the, 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 the Church of Sweater. Oh, I'd say I wholeheartedly agree. I'd say that we're spun from the same cloth. Um, from the same uh, heavy-knit wool, maybe, even? Yeah, I'd say a, not a merino wool, but like a little bit more of a, a bulkier one, one that stands up to such a harsh uh, climate upon which we both live in. Mm, so, mm, mm. Fantastic. What sweater are you wearing today, Harry? I am currently wearing a cable knit uh, sweater with a, a somewhat of a gray hue, uh, rolled at the cuff, of course, because it is business time. Okay. Um, when I like to relax, I do uh, I do unfurl uh, uh, my sleeves somewhat um, so that I can truly uh, be embraced by the full uh, uh, sweater hug, as right. they say. Right, right. So, uh, but uh, I can see in your uh, Skype. Uh, <laughs> picture, you're wearing a, uh, a mighty, to say the least, uh, shawl cardigan. It did, so, not, uh, it did not even occur to me until I saw I'm wearing that same sweater in my Skype picture at this very moment. It's, oh, 
<laughs> it's, it that's, was meant to be. I feel as though uh, that's what we call in the business synergy. Synergy. Is that it? We'll go with that. I'm happy with well, that. I don't, I don't know. Mine, I feel that word's uh, always the hot word of the day. I, I'm, I'm good with it. I'm good with it. Um, how are you, you old, you old fool? You old, you old crazy coot? <laughs> as I nearly cough up a lung yeah, after Jesus. sipping a cold coffee. Um, I'm well. I'm well, thanks for asking. What's going, uh, on? What's going on in your life? You've decided to start a podcast, which is a fantastic life decision that I wholeheartedly support. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I always wanted to get a podcast going. I always wanted to have somewhat of a side passion project. Um, oh. And since... Uh, uh, I don't fare too well anymore um, on the soccer pitch. No. I figure I might as well take my talents to uh, the radio waves. Okay. So um, fantastic. What do you? What's your vision? You must have some sort of, you know, grand design for how you want this to 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 to, to transpire. Like what the layout is, or or are you just kind of you know, you know, driving by the headlights right now and just feeling it out? Oh golly. Um, well, I always wished to be a broadcaster at, uh, at one point in my life, be it for uh, like a local radio station back down in Cambridge, uh, uh, the bridge, as we say. Mm. Um, but yeah, at this point in time, I'm just feeling it out. Um, I've been very fortunate to have uh, folks uh, such as yourself and as well as uh, a few other uh, friends uh, come out of the woodwork wanting to uh, uh, be on the pod and uh, discuss the greatness that is not only sweaters, but life. Um, so, no, at this point, I'm just going to kind of let it flow and see what happens. That's a good plan. I like that. Let it flow. That'll be, uh, that'll be good. I have to come clean um, because I absolutely have a nefarious, you know, agenda hopping in here. <laughs> of course. Um, it's, it's my goal to immediately be inarguably the single best podcast guest that you have on this podcast <laughs> such that... Uh, anyone that follows me not only looks at you know garbage, but that you have to commit to a regular recording schedule with me and uh, and and no one else. So just wow. uh, so um, you're monopolizing the marketplace that is sweater talk already. I play I play to win, Harry. <laughs> um, so just just putting that on the table. You know that's that's all I'll say of it. Um, I, I just I want you to know that I'm at you know at once honest as I am uh, you know bullish, but uh, you know. I, th- I think it's I think it's going to go well. Hey, you know what? I would appreciate. I'm I don't wish to put the cart in front of the horses here, but uh, I have a good feeling that this is going well. And if you so desire to maintain your top spot, uh, you could potentially be a feature um, host, so to speak, where in which you may have your own uh, topics to uh, discuss, whichever uh, tickle your fancy. I get a segment. Uh, is that what you're saying? I've I've already won a segment. Hey, I'm not saying it. I, I might be inferring it, but okay. we're going to have to see how this goes because we've only been at this together for roughly uh, five minutes and 45 seconds. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I do appreciate the mojo and the vibes I'm getting here, but uh, yeah. So you're putting me on notice. I'm saying this is this is a live ammo is what you're saying. Oh, yeah. This is a uh, – what does that uh, big old dork say, Bill Riley, the big bear? He says like uh, – oh, I forget what terrible – name his segment is or what have you when he puts him in the hot seat whatnot but um yes you're essentially in the a woolly hot seat right now a woolly hot seat. that sounds actually lovely i would love yeah. a woolly hot seat right now um yeah. okay good then uh let's uh you know let's 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 roll them bones uh what what so i want i'm ch- i want to challenge you in my Ooh. segment 
to tell me what exactly, you know, what does a sweater mean to you? Of what significance is it to you mentally, physically? Uh, why, why choose that as your, your totem of power? My goodness. Well, you certainly uh, flipped the table on me this time because I had actually a series of questions for you. But I'll, uh, I'll participate, uh, participate in this ta ti ta that you've, uh, you've started. Um, God, the definition of a sweater um, physically, um, I feel as though it just needs to embody uh, the torso. So I do believe that a sweater vest is a sweater before a vest. Mm. Um, I think it's really about, it's about the layering aspect of a sweater, okay. um, because you could wear a sweater straight up, no undershirt. You could be a maverick in that sense. That's, that's a good look. That's a, that's a, a hard look, but a good look if you can do it's it. It's hard, right? But then you don't usually see collared shirts being layered upon one another, right? This is true. Unless you, like the early thousands where it was super hip to wear about a baker's dozen polo shirts, all of a pastel color scheme. That was a thing. That was a thing for a minute. You're right. Yeah. So um, I feel as though it's very much of a trend um, that actually I feel as though sweaters are never of a trend, but more so of a lifestyle. They're timeless. They're they're... They're timeless. Sure. Exactly. So, Mm -hmm. Um, but then also, but materials though, that really changes the game of things because sometimes a turtleneck isn't a sweater, mm. but rather it's just an aggressive collared shirt that doesn't want to quit. Fair, fair. What, what, what do, what, what do they help you accomplish? Uh, you know, for, when, when I go to a sweater, I, I, I pick a sweater with purpose because there's mm-hmm. something I need to do in the day. You know, is, is it a similar experience for you? Oh, very much so. Like I'll... Uh, my go-to sweater is that of a, a cardigan, a thicker cardigan with a shawl collar. Okay. Um, for that, it's formal, but not too formal. It's academic, yet approachable. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the thing. It allows it, it gives me the affordance to potentially take it off. Now, would I ever take off my sweater? Heck no. Okay. Um, but, yeah, but in terms of a crew neck sweater, you're stuck in it. Mm. Like, rest of the day i'm a person who if i put something on i won't take it off until um the end of the day right Uh, okay even if i'm in a water slide i'll leave my sweater on if it's on it's on like it's just that's just how i roll that's that Um, you're a man of conviction hey you know what i if you're gonna wear a sweater i'm gonna wear the heck out of a sweater fair enough okay so um but i don't know it just always uh, I just always imagine such writers as C.S. Lewis or Tolkien just always wearing a uh, a good like shawl cardigan. Um, even John Stuart Mill's the the policy uh, writers of of the heyday just mm-hmm. always wearing some sort of uh, far. Uh, it's like a cloak. Sure. Percent, sure. Right? Yeah. 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 It's 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 like. Uh... Uh, if you're playing D and D, it's your armor. It's your goes in your armor slot. That's exactly it. That mm. is exactly it. You mentioned a a policy right. His name again? Oh, um, uh, Mills. Mills. Uh, John Stuart Mills. Yeah, he's a guy that I studied in my undergraduate. Um, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, he was of the mind of the streams theory, meaning 
uh, policies only uh, uh, are enacted when in which there it hits the the timing window, uh, the, the public window, and another sort of window. I forget. Um, I don't know for some odd reason that stuck with me just because of whenever I worked in politics or even as an entrepreneur now, it's very much relationship based and timing based and public base in terms of actually achieving what you're wishing to get. So you've, um, you, you've, you've spun into something else I wanted to talk to you about. Cause I actually know relatively little. I think we had one conversation in a hallway of the school. We, we, we both went to Ryerson here in Toronto where you briefly explained to me, that you had spent some time working in the uh, uh, political space, in the political arena, and you likened it to the, uh, the show Veep. Um, <laughs> is that accurate? And I, I, I'm fascinated by your role in, in politics because first, let you, and I'm, I'm going to editorialize here for a minute, so, so sip your coffee. You, are okay. a, you, you embody a, a physical uh, and and oral, you know, charisma that's almost anachronistic. You know, I find that your, 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 your deployment choices, just everything from the way you dress to the way you talk, to the way you, you, you comport yourself is like, uh, uh, you know, as you said, it's classic. It's, it's almost a little bit out of time, um, which I find fascinating, but even more so that you were able to take that into politics. Um, which is something I know uh, very little about. I've been uh, very politically apathetic throughout my life, um, and that's probably something I should change. But how did you arrive there? And uh, you know, to tie it all back, you know, what role did sweaters play in your, uh, you know, successes or defeats or, or, or tribulations there? Golly, you making me blush. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, listen, uh, listen. I'm not saying anything anyone else wouldn't wouldn't say, right? I I, I think you're 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 in a time, you know. As as you said, it's of a time, right? You know, we are of the time we are in right now. You, I would argue that you are uh, 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 an outlier in a lot of ways. Um, and it's, it's something that I will probably spend, uh, you know, further segments trying to unpack because I find it fascinating, but <laughs> I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to stop talking about it and that, yeah. I, how did you get into politics and what did you do there? Oh, golly. Um, well, I got into politics informally at a fairly early age, I believe, uh, my mother and father, they met in Ottawa. Um, they were both essentially speechwriters, And so it's, it's in my blood. You know, I just had to go back home, essentially, to Ottawa. Hmm. Um, but in terms of how sweaters played a role, sweaters were fantastic in uh, uh, in politics. And I say politics because I did. I never worked in the bureaucracy. I was a what they call a political operator, or uh, uh, where in which you I worked primarily campaigns, okay. uh, so lead ups and cool downs to elections. Um, but I did work in a. a Minister of Finance's office for a bit, um, Oliver. Um, he uh, uh, was after Flaherty uh, after his passing, sadly. But um, in terms of how sweaters were uh, used, were utilized by myself, I would say they were great at covering up stains. Okay, good. Um, because, of course, such as in Veep, everything's on the go, such as in life. Mm. Um, I would get the occasional mustard or sauerkraut stain okay. uh, on my shirt. Um, however, my sweater would cover it up. Um, 
and it also helped out a great deal in terms of uh, not showing wrinkles sure. uh, in my shirts. I'm, it's, uh, I imagine it's a, it's an arena where appearances are pretty important. Oh my goodness, you couldn't even imagine. For me, I was a little bit of a, uh, as you said it earlier, um, an outcast for my uh, use of sweaters. I don't think I called you an outcast. I wouldn't do that. I called you an outliar. One is sorry. <laughs> I appreciate an outlier. That's a nice word. I apologize for misquoting. Um, but no, I would wear my sweaters primarily, um, and that was not deemed as being sleek or modern. Mm. Um, even when I worked with uh, a few liberal folks, uh, as well as uh, I primarily worked with the conservatives, just because that's my father and mother were uh, both conservative. Um, they were very much like, oh, you got to get the nicest uh, Brooks Brothers suit and mm. you got to get. You got to be dressed to the nines. You got to have those shoes that have the buckles on them and all that fun stuff. Brogues, Whereas I think they're called. Are they called brogues? Uh, bro, yeah, brogues or monks or oh. monks. Okay, okay. Something uh, very, uh, um, yeah, um, fancy and like that. So, um, so no, yeah, for me, sweaters were great. They were so uh, versatile. And that's the thing. Uh, sweaters are far more approachable than that of somebody uh, who wears a suit. Mm. Um, like when I would go out, uh, door knocking with candidates, I would make sure that they weren't wearing a tie. Uh, mm. I would make sure that they'd pull off the, almost the, uh, Obama-esque rolled up sleeve type look. Sure. Right. Sure. Uh, but also even wear a sweater sometimes if it was chilly, because you know what? Sweaters are functional as well as fashionable. Right. So, um, no, there's very much a, a sort of pageantry in terms of the presentation of uh, uh, politickers. Um, I can't imagine. How, how long were you working in Ottawa doing that? Oh, golly. Um, so I started, I believe, in my second year, my undergraduate, wow. um, volunteering for uh, uh, a few uh, backbench uh, MPs um, from the Waterloo-Cambridge area. Um, wow. And then I uh, worked a little bit with uh, Minister of Finance, and then I actually uh, hopped down to Municipal, where I worked with the mayor, um, the great Jim Watson of Ottawa. Um, and that was easily the most fun uh, political uh, uh, job I had, um, easily, um, because it was like primarily campaign-based, and I did a little bit of policy, but it, I, I was out on the road every day, all across Ottawa, um, wearing all the sweaters I wanted. So, <laughs> and you, it, was it primarily a communications capacity or were you coordinating? I mean, you were probably pretty junior at that point, but you know, what was um, your, 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 your role in the, in the operation? Yeah. And so in terms of, uh, working with the MPs and the minister, um, I primarily did, uh, constituency work, uh, which is deemed not to be the glorious work of, uh, policy crafting or, or whatnot, but, I deemed it important for the fact that the what these are people that you're supposed to serve. You can't just disregard their uh, their wants and desires. Sorry, um, what, what was it called again? You said oh, constituency. Constituency. So that yeah. means I was just thinking about that word the other day. I like that word. So constituency work is that like pressing the flesh, like you know. Uh, uh, that's with a, the yeah, that's a good people? way to put it. Mm -hmm. um, it's more so um, constituency work, meaning um, um, like a riding is essentially a constituency, except the riding is established by um, uh, the elections branch, 
right, in okay. terms of who you're going to represent. A constituency is your base. Sure. Um, now, a constituency doesn't necessarily have to be 100% in support of you, but you are the elected official of that constituency. Right. Right? Okay. So you're needing to make sure that um, all the – whichever uh, jurisdiction or level of government um, issue uh, is aligned uh, to their needs, you need to make sure that you tackle it. Sure. So you do a lot. I imagine you probably did a lot of information gathering, getting a feel for what people, how, how people felt about, about, you know, issues of the That's, day. Yeah, you nailed it right there. And it's important too to realize that a lot of constituency work um, is forgotten about when it's off campaign time or um, outside of the politic and actions that are needed. Sure. Right. So constituency uh, work tends to be a little bit of a lull. Okay. In, some, in terms of importance of mm. any sort of um, elected official. Right. right? Okay. So, um, but no, in terms of the efficiency, though, and the uh, most fun, um, municipally, it was great. Because uh, for me, I was a little bit of, whenever you, you work a campaign, you become a Swiss army knife. So, right? so that just pause you real quick. You said municipal. So at the municipal level, does that mean you're working for like towns or like, like, what is the uh, the scope well, it's of more, municipal? It's more so the issues, right? So okay. for a municipal issue, a constituent can come up and say to you, "Hey, I want to, I want this pothole filled." Sure, that's done. That's a municipal issue. Um, whereas if you were to approach that via a uh, your MPP, so provincially or MP federally, they're going to be like, "Oh yeah, we can get that done," but they actually can't really get it done because that's not their purview. Right. 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 And so it's 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 tough to um, determine. Uh, well, not it's tough uh, for citizens of a constituency to determine where do I go to achieve the result I wish. Right. Right. Because I've helped out folks for associations, for unions to determine, hey, who do I go to to actually get this done and not just get lip service? Right. Right. So right? You're, 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 you're the Leslie Nope of the. Uh... Of the oh operation. my goodness! That is easily the nicest thing <laughs> anybody has uh, referred me to. Um, <laughs> I would very much say that Parks and Rec is wildly true yeah. to uh, municipal uh, affairs, to say the least. So that's that's reassuring to know, because as I, you know, politics is a total you know gray part of the map for me. So that's you're working in municipal government where people, citizens, were able to approach you, look for, and you know have conversations in pursuit of, you know, actionable solutions that to things that affected their lives. Yeah. And how, yeah. That, um, I like to say directly affect their lives because uh, provincially and federally, um, as well as international relations on top of that, it's, uh, it is not as uh, tangible hmm. of a, of a goal or a result provided. It's more so an indirect, right? right. Kind of like the, Oh, we know that we have a water system, but we don't really know how that water system works type thing. Right, right. Okay. So. Interesting. And how, okay, so how long, how old are you now, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, I'm uh, 26 years young. You're 26. That's interesting. Um, okay. And, and and how long, you you were doing that for how many years? You said you started in second year. You were getting, what, a poli-sci uh, degree? I was getting, yeah, so the formal name of my degree was uh, uh, Public Affairs and Policy Management, okay. um, where in which I specialized in strategic public opinion and policy analysis. Okay. 
Um, so I essentially wanted to become the next uh, Cambridge Analytica. Uh, <laughs> so, Excellent. Uh, all right. All right. So, no, but yeah, I like to describe it as a public policy journalism degree um, mm. because I wanted actually to go into journalism at Carleton, except my father was said, said get a real degree. <laughs> and I said, that's rude, but all right. Um, but it allowed me to essentially minor in journalism. Right. Which was great. And I got to meet a uh, few of my like best lifelong friends through that journalism program. So I'm happy I took such a program of uh, that was so versatile. Fantastic. And so you were working in politics, putting that degree to work for, you know, what? We met almost, what, almost going on two years ago. Um, so you God, been, that's nuts. Yeah, crazy. You would have been, what, about 24, which puts only, what, like a few years between your degree and, and there? Like how long were you working in, in politics? Oh, gosh. Um on and off at that point in time, I would probably say uh, four years. Okay. Um, there are, of course, breaks in between because, mm -hmm. like, the the Canadian campaign cycle um, is fairly lined up in terms of municipal, provincial, uh, and uh, federal elections. Right. Um, so that voter apathy isn't too intense. So is that, uh, like, contract works, or is that you're jumping from, from gig to gig, or...? Yeah, essentially contract work, whereas then in between I would work with um, the cool-off of a campaign, okay. meaning making sure that all the ducks were in a row and uh, and whatnot. Um, like when I was working in the uh, mayor's office, I nearly worked there for, I want to say, I, for some reason I want to say 10 months, okay. maybe, and I was actually wanting to... Um, stay on for an additional year because what usually happens is when you work a campaign um, and your campaign is successful um, by any metric you set, uh, you are then hired on to stay with that team. Right. Okay. Um, because if you can essentially operate within the confines and stresses of a campaign period, yeah, it usually extends to the fact that hey, then you can work in like the casual. I'm doing big old air quotes here like regulated hour uh, job cycles. Yeah, so, norm, normal work days. Yeah, quote unquote. Okay. Um, normal work days or hours aren't really a norm in uh, politics um, just because to, like some positions, like to be a mayor's shadow is wildly intense um, because just like in Veep, um, oh shoot, I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. Tony Hale's character. Right. Um, needs to know Gary. everything. Yeah. Gary. Yeah. yeah, Gary. Yeah. So, like, the Garys of the world, oh, good on them. Was that, so, wait, was that not what you were doing, or you were doing something so, slightly different? Um, I was more so uh, communications. Um, I actually had the really fun primary job of dispensing uh, um, uh, tangible uh, literature. So um, okay. I was jokingly called the sign guy. <laughs> uh, because I would work with um, unions, associations. I got a fraternity to help us out. Um, just in terms of, like, community relations. Right. Uh, that's what I did, but with a primary goal of getting all these folks to put up signs. And so we just covered all of Ottawa with a, with, with a Jim Watson paraphernalia. I think you would be so good at that. I can see that being very... I, you would be given your... God-given and, you know, learned <laughs> talents, I think you'd be 
a, a very good person at organizing groups of people to mobilize in the streets and, and, and get that uh, sort of thing off the ground. That's very cool. And then you, so after four years, you know, the story of Harry Dearden takes you to the big city. Yes. Right? And you decided that, you know, you, you saw a future in, you know, you know spoiler to, to, to listeners, we met at the Ryerson University Masters of Digital Media Program. It's a one-year kind of comprehensive, uh, you know, digital literacy, you know, largely theoretical, getting into some business practice and, you know, um, you know, stuff like that. That's where we met. But what, what drew you there? Oh, golly. Um... Well, actually, I initially went down to Toronto to be closer uh, with my dad and sister because at that time, um, just before I uh, kicked off uh, the campaign work with uh, the mayor, my mother um, had died by suicide. Um, oh, oh, I think it was April 11th, I want to say. Mm -hmm. And so, but I had already committed to this campaign, which was a huge treat, an amazing experience for me, um, that after that, and after being away from uh, Cambridge and, well, from my dad and sister for nearly five or six years, I decided to make the trek back um, down to Toronto. So, sorry, um, your, your dad and sister were in Toronto? Yeah, well, my dad's uh, in Cambridge. Okay. And my sister's in Toronto currently. She's a, a teacher. Um, and so I just wanted to be closer to them. And so when I first moved down to Toronto, it was pretty rough because I thought I had a job lined up with um, – a very well-respected uh, government relations firm, um, but that actually didn't work out. So I uh, ended up working two retail jobs um, back to back uh, from six in the morning till noon and then one o'clock till eight for roughly four, four months. Wow. Yeah. And then I, uh, funny enough, after that joined on to, uh, do a, a, a contract with a French aerospace engineering firm to do their communications. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then I, I figured, look, if I can't find a job in what I'm wanting to do right now, then I should go back to school. Um, and I remember my dad uh, cut out, because he loves cutting out newspaper articles because he's that old, uh, <laughs> Love him, uh, but he gave it to me in an envelope. I'm like, "What is is this? Like, is this money? I'd love it." For <laughs> and uh, I was disappointed, but not really. In the long term, I wasn't uh, disappointed because I read it, and it was a feature on the MDM program. Right. And that's when I figured, hey, you know what? I can go into this program and look into digital governance mm. because at the time when we were there, um, they were just starting to develop. Uh, uh, or just whispering about the Ministry of uh, Digital Governance. Mm. And so I thought that if I had this master's, I could weasel my way in mm. um, to uh, that branch of, or to that ministry, so. Right, cool. But, and then, so, that that didn't end up being the, or that wasn't, you know, knowing what I know, the, the kind of angle you took. And now you've <laughs> moved from there into a very, what, from, you know, my, my advantage, seems like a pretty exciting little foray into, uh, entrepreneurship, which I find interesting because I, I both trajectories seem like uh, a, an effort to affect change at a pretty large scale, both through politics and, and now through what you're doing with um, small talk. What led you to um, make that jump? Well, it was somewhat selfish, really, um, because I had my first typomanic uh, break 
um, I think it was in February, uh, and my dad had to come into Toronto and pick me up because I just couldn't operate. And so I, I was gaslighting, essentially, because at that point, I was also working full-time uh, in Queen's Park. Okay. Um, so I was just trying to burn the candle at both ends type of thing. Fe and uh, Fe February of last year? Uh, no, it would have been... Uh, Two years ago? Two years ago? Okay. It was uh, during our uh, master's program. Okay. And, um, and you said hypomanic break. What does that entail? Oh, if you so can that, say? That, that's so when one says hypomanic, so it's not a full manic episode where in which um, um, it's not to that extreme, okay. uh, a, a manic episode. A hypomanic episode, like for me, it varies for each person, um, but essentially, I was um, like self-harming a great deal, um, and I was buying ludicrous things online. Um, like I, I think I bought like four pairs of shoes when I came to, because it's almost a um, for me, it's most mostly an out-of-body experience, where in which um, the extreme thoughts that you sometimes have at night in a dream they almost feel real life. Mm. Right. Um, and so that happened. And then when I kind of came to, uh, my dad came in and picked me up and I was away for a few days, just trying to regroup and whatnot. And so I you, figured, sorry, you say came to, is it, is it dissociative? Do you feel like um, you're it's kind of dissociative for me, at least I can't, I don't wish to speak on behalf of sure, sure, sure. Because that's the thing. Mood disorders, they're not the same, right? Like I could, like I've had someone who's with, who's also with type two bipolar, and they have uh, different reactions, but sure. or the way in which it, it manifests differently. Right. Um, but no, it's almost as if like the grogginess of when you wake up after a long slumber, mm. that type of uh, coming to. Mm. Um, yeah, and so uh, from there I realized, look, I have the affordance to be taken care of by family and friends, um, uh, but others don't. Um, and then I look back at my time at my undergraduate when I did attempt to go to a counseling center when my mom for, was uh, first hospitalized for uh, attempting suicide. And I filled out the two lines that they had uh, provided to explain the reasons as to why you're here. And I said, there's not enough space to explain why I'm here. Hmm. And so I handed it to the um, administrative nurse and she looked at it and she laughed. Because that's just the institutional uh, reaction to to such a response. Sadly, right? It's mm -hmm. I don't blame her. I blame the environment in which she was working in. And to, that that was that was hurtful for you, I imagine. It was hurtful. It was more so disappointing. Um, I don't like to be angry at people. I'm more I'm more so of a person who gets disappointed in people and their actions, or rather, lack thereof. Oh, you're gonna uh, be such a good dad. No, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, but, but no, it's it's, yeah. And so, kind of all those little life lessons finally bubbled up, and it was the first time I felt as though, hey, I can actually make a decision that can help people in the short term, long term, what have it. I just want to do this. That's when I kind of got selfish and decided to go into uh, the mental health space. Yeah, well, I, that's that's that makes a lot more. I'm I'm comforted to know that someone like yourself, who has probably the best 
purpose or best interest at heart for, for doing that. And it's probably, you know, in 26 years managed to accrue, uh, you know, a, a, a rarefied amount of, of knowledge and experience with that field. I'm, I'm glad to know that you're going into that. So what do you, uh, what, what's been the story since then, since you decided to make that jump? Well, I appreciate you saying that uh, I went into the field, but I feel so we need to give a shout out even to um, who might like Noah Irvine or Irvin rather, sorry. Um, he's a phenomenal young lad who uh, I believe lost both of his parents to substance abuse down in Waterloo. And he's, he's done fantastic work in terms of grassroots led um, uh, mental health uh, promotion Yes, like he even had a moment to speak with the prime minister, a yeah. sit-down with him, right, to speak about mental health and youth. I, I feel as though in the mental health space, um, there are so many players, but they're not connected. Hmm. They're almost silos in a way, where in which so many people have a fantastic skill set that would be so complementary to others, be it of um, lived experience, be it, be it of uh, an entrepreneurial, be it of a clinical, what have you. Um, I've been fortunate enough to work um, with an international, national, uh, and regional um, organizations uh, in the mental health space. And it's just so interesting to see how different they all go about it. Right. Right? So... Um, so no, it's been it's been a real treat um, to work with such folks. So, um, I, I'm trying to get you to your plug here. Like, what do you you got to do some self promotion? Oh golly! Um, <laughs> what 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 is the what is small talk and and what are you what are you guys doing? Well, small yeah. So small talk itself, it's uh, more so from my experience through DBT and CBT. These are all forms of uh, therapies, and it didn't work for me. Could you sorry, explain uh, uh, what are DBT and CBT? Oh, so uh, DBT is a dialectic behavioral therapy, Okay. and uh, CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay. It's very much of the idea through the self-realization and through uh, um, textbook exercises, mm-hmm. um, you come to uh, the realization of uh, why you're expressing yourself and the way you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me... Uh, Hey, and I'm not knocking it in any sense. If it works for you, that's brilliant. Um, uh, I'm happy that it's working for you. But for me, it just didn't allow me to capture myself in my different uh, mediums, right? Because not all of us are writers. Mm. Uh, Not all of us wish to uh, convey our thoughts uh, through uh, pen and paper. Um, And I've come to the realization that telemedicine is wildly growing, except it's creating too much of a reliance on... uh, uh, digitized um, relationships. Hmm. So that's when small talk comes into play. We're kind of like the the usability of a Snapchat, but with the capability of an Evernote. Okay. Um, meaning um, you can capture any trigger, trauma, stressor, shift you have right. um, with your built-in camera, microphone, text, or draw it hmm. to create an entry that's then time-stamped and uh, so that when you do see your counselor, your therapist, your uh, your peer-to-peer supporter, um, heck, even somebody you trust, you can recount that trauma you've had, you've experienced, so that you don't have that doorknob moment when you close the door after a session. Be like, oh, damn, I wish I talked about that. Right, right. So it's it's kind of a 
uh, a, a journaling utility intended expressly to facilitate, um, you know, uh, mental health exercises. I guess is that kind of fair to say? Yeah, that's yeah, that's a, uh, very well put. Um, yeah, that's really how it is. Um, because for me, when I initially started treatment uh, with Paul, um, Paul, my uh, psychiatrist, um, he uh, like I presented him napkins and, and post-it notes of what I went through. Right. He said, this is, thank you for collecting this and capturing it, but I don't know what this means. This just looks like a, a heaping mound of recyclable goods. Mm. Like, what is this? And mm. I'm like, fair enough. And so that's where in which small talk kind of allows that not um, curation, but more so um, self-determined Sure. Um, uh, way of going about capturing everything and anything you wish. So what was it that the napkins just they weren't uh, like legible? Like it was just the, the information oh, was yeah, captured like, in a. Oh yeah, it was god awful. Yeah, like they were all balled up, and I was just like just throwing them at them as if we were kids throwing snowballs at one another. Yeah. Like it was just a. It's kind of like that uh, MVP we uh, we did with that tissue box. Sure. Sure. <laughs> the, uh, for for those for that the, the the vast group of listeners who weren't in our school program, Harry and I came up with a very bad idea for a very bad app and made a prototype of it. It's called Downtimers. Get you to stop using your phone. Don't look it up. And uh, we used a tissue box to demonstrate how it worked. But it was the funniest thing because afterwards I saw actual like boxes made that were exactly of that app. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. They were posted online and stuff. I was like, damn it. Like I think. Uh, <laughs> I think one of our uh, group mates there, Trevor, like forwarded me the link. He's like, yo, man, it's right here. I was like, what? <laughs> uh, there's no new ideas. <laughs> yeah, there's no such thing as original thought, only original people. Mm. So, small talk, are you guys live? Are you in the app stores right now? Uh, so, we're hopefully going to be in the app store, um, fingers crossed, um, uh, next week. Okay. Um, but, of course, we're also going through, this is the first time it's been fully developed so we're wanting to go through user testing. Right, right. And so what we've decided to do is we've decided to make it uh, kind of like a native role app, meaning that it's uh, web-based. However, it's optimized for uh, Android and iOS. Okay. Um, just for the time being, usability, it's easier that way to make uh, tweaks to it. And then once we do have a, a somewhat polished product, mm. um, then we can just – diverge it into both uh apple store and uh, android so very cool fantastic well congratulations on going live next week that'll be uh or are you guys is the web version live already uh the web version is not live yet um okay. and we need to hear back um we're also because that's a kicker right because since this is a mental health app it needs to adhere to uh p hipaa and hipaa like health security compliance who are they and... and so that's just the North American and Canadian uh, um, health privacy and security standards. Right. And so uh, hopefully we're working with a, a group that essentially is uh, like a plug-in to a Chrome except for health apps where in which uh, it would automatically um, uh, make you uh, um, compliant with any sort of health regulation you need. Uh, so it's like a, a, an infosec requirement yeah, exactly yeah yeah right okay okay cool and you guys are just getting integrated with that and then you're good to go yeah then we're good to go fantastic well uh, again congratulations mr harry that's a very exciting uh 
time to be doing what you are. And is it um, is that full time gig that you're working on right now? Or you got any other iron, irons in the fire? You seem like a guy who wouldn't be, uh, you know, you'd be have a couple things on the go. <laughs> um, um, sadly, it isn't full time, um, <clears throat> though it is a, a probably the biggest passion project of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just before sweater talk, of course. Of course. Um, uh, but no, I currently work with the uh, Movember Foundation. Um, I'm a project coordinator for all their social uh, innovation uh, challenge uh, projects. Um, so we have 12 projects uh, that are geared towards mental health and suicide prevention um, in the UK, Australia, and Canada. Right on. Uh, and yeah, I just work with a fantastic team. Shout out to Ivy, Babs, um, and the Motec and marketing crew, because we all have a budget of 5.2 million for uh, these 12 projects. Wow. And so it's just been really intense um, and a great learning experience in terms of like working with time zones, the, the cultural differences of, of um, uh, websites and right. website design, right? So um, no, but the MDM certainly gave me a, a, a good uh, advantage in terms of uh, instilling uh, lean principles. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I'm having occasion to use some of those too. That's fantastic. How big, Eddie, how big, uh, how big is Movember? They seem like they're kind of certainly oh, up there. Denver? Yeah. Oh, golly. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, they were just ranked, uh, oh, I think it was 94th out of the top 100 uh, uh, Canadian charities um, mm. because. Movember Foundation has a very much of a, I don't wish to say a, a franchise system, but more so a, a top-down federal system, uh, where in which uh, there's, I want to say that Movember has over um, like five or six established marketplaces. Okay. So Australia, UK, US, Canada. Um, as well as a few other ones here and there, right on. uh, where in which each country uh, office has their respected uh, programs mm. that are then linked to uh, the programs federally. Gotcha. So, um, uh, True North is probably the most recognized November uh, program, okay. uh, where in which it's uh, a prostate cancer uh, uh, peer-to-peer based program which is just fantastic model, um, which is just grown. If you're ever interested in checking out uh, very well-run uh, national, international uh, uh, lived experience programs, that's definitely the one you got to check out. Mm. My, my lady is in uh, prospect management uh, for the University of Toronto. She's, uh, she does similar work. Oh, interesting. Yeah, 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 she's, she's, she's enjoying it. She's just getting into it now. She's uh, kind of worked on the back end, but anyway, well, uh, I took you off your point. So that, that's going well for you? Oh, yeah, it's going well for me, but I was just about to say if uh, uh, your partner needs any help, I'm more than happy to uh, send her a few uh, resources. I uh, will, I'll have to let her know that. She'll, uh, she's, um, we're, we're expecting, actually, so she won't be oh, there. Holy Toledo, congrats! Oh, thanks, man. Um, she's uh, got couple more months and then she's uh she's work- going right up to the end because she's tough as nails uh <laughs> um but i think we're looking at july 8th or something like that um well that's a nice time of year yeah we're looking for it'll be a nice summer summer baby um yeah. but yeah i wish i think she's definitely looking at moving into that space so i'll have to i'll have to connect you to but that's not interesting radio um <laughs> 
that is that's very cool. I'm very happy to hear that you're thriving and flourishing, Mr. Harry. Because um, I, I, as I said, I enjoyed working with you then, and I uh, I enjoy working with you now. I think this is uh, it's it's great to hear all the great cool stuff that you're up to. You have, and and I I promised I'd come circle back around to this. <coughs> you the it's hard to describe for someone who hasn't met you. And I and one of the things we're we're talking now, and you're not. Are you using a laptop microphone? Um. Oh no! Actually, I uh, I came across a blue uh, snowball. I okay. think it's called. Okay. All right. We need to get you a better microphone because it is failing to capture the uh, the 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 presence, the magnitude, the force of your voice. <coughs> You're it's it's not picking up the low. At least in my headphones. Maybe I'll I'll hear it back. But anyone who's met you, anyone who's been in a room with you, has felt the walls reverberate with the sheer force and and size of your voice um you've got a really deep you know uh resounding i i don't know the technical to baritone maybe um but as that's and that's one of the the things i talk about when i say that you're kind of a one of a kind person to you know interact with is that you've got this voice that i just can imagine would be just a, a trump card in politics, in, in, in municipal, as you said, you know, organizing people, crowd work, getting things done, affecting change. It's the, the lower register, you know, well, I, I won't talk about it. I think it's probably something you've, at least this point by now, become aware of. How important or how do you notice even the, like that, that the power that has in the work that you do? Oh, I, I appreciate that. Um... Yes, I'll admit it works uh, fairly well in terms of organizing uh, folks when uh, uh, it feels like you're herding kittens. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I uh, I got I think I got my voice through uh, my days of being a choir boy. Um, I had a phenomenal um, choral director because uh, choir is big down in Waterloo Region, mm. and uh, Mark Vornan, shout out to Mark Vornan, um, he. Uh, yeah, he was pretty old school in the way in which he uh, taught me how to uh, to speak because he said before you can sing, you must learn how to speak. That's amazing. Uh, I love that. Which I feel is very true. And uh, he didn't um, – like he was just so clever about it. Like he wouldn't put marbles in my mouth or anything like that. But I remember an exercise where in which I would put um, textbooks on my diaphragm and I'd <laughs> lay down on my back and i just start going through the – um, uh, the octaves and whatnot, the registers. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, it's just small stuff like that. And I always had the thought space of uh, uh, if you don't use your voice, uh, you don't deserve it um, type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, where in which if, if, if you don't speak for what's right, then you're tacitly consenting to what's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I... I I'm very fortunate to have been bestowed such a voice box, but, um, but it sounds like it's not, it wasn't just, it's uh, and that's, I guess what I was trying to figure out. It does sounds like it wasn't necessarily just handed to you. It sounds like the pieces were there, but you took the initiative and recognized it to, you know, to, to, to turn it into what it is today, which is uh, a boomstick. <laughs> a boomstick. <laughs> oh gosh. That's a, that reminds me of a uh, army of darkness. Yeah. That's, that was what I was with the boomstick. Um, do you, but, are you, are you finding that's, uh, you know, still helping you to this day? Do you cultivate that still? Is it, do you, do you do exercises? 
Um, well, no, I, well, it's just more so like moments, right? So mm. whenever I, uh, I speak with someone, um, be it in a group, uh, be it one-on-one, I ensure that I listen, right? And so I do the, my rule is seven seconds um, so that once they uh, speak something so that I can really process it and really embrace the, the silence that can be wildly awkward, right? Mm. Because just like in a late night show, um, Johnny Carson was brilliant at it, where in which he would sit in the silence. And then whatever he would say next may not be so clever, but it was just the timing and the tempo of the room mm. uh, of those speaking. It just landed perfectly. Mm. Uh, so that's how I go about it. Um, yeah. That's uh, you. You linked, a, I think, a video in our shared Facebook book group at one time. There was a a guy or a fellow who was who was talking a little bit about this. Um, do you remember what what I'm referring to? Oh golly, um, was it a TED talk? I think so, maybe something like that. Because I have a naughty obsession with TED talks. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I always think it's positive uh, procrastination whenever I watch a TED talk. Yeah, um, it's okay to feel good about that for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, it might have been. I want to. Was it Kirby? Maybe. I'm not it sure. Might have been a fella named Kirby. If we can't, uh, we can't remember it, we shouldn't spend too much time. But what does Kirby say? Uh, oh, actually, well, Kirby just speaks of the idea of... Um, actually, it builds onto our earlier point of originality, but it's more so the presentation of such idea mm. turns it into uh, originality, right? Mm. So, um, because what, what I've said, what I've been fortunate enough to develop through small talk or, th- or through my successes... It's, it's just through a reframing and a repackaging of what was previously there mm. um, that I unknowingly knew, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's that, it could be the exact same uh, with your work circumstance as well, I bet, right? And the way in which you're, you're a unique individual who's presenting ideas through a unique fashion for the reason being you're original, right? There's, there's no other Evan here. I should hope not. Um... <laughs> Uh, so it's it's more about just you know the the presentation is what makes an idea original, right? You can research and and put it all together, but it's it's your unique packaging. Exactly. That's gotcha. I feel as though that's really it. Mm. You are part of your unique package. I'm moving through the the checkpoints here. You've got this voice, but then you've also got this fantastic fashion sense where you've got and I this is uh, largely selfishly motivated because I need to freshen up my closet. You. Oh rock the Dockers the way only a much older man could. (laughs) And not older in a negative way, but in a way that... Sorry, maybe older is not even what I should say. Well, no, I'll go with that. You you rock the Dockers in a way that, uh, you know, a cool dad could. The way only a cool dad could, I suppose. I ran into you at the Bay, and I saw you buying fresh Dockers. You remember that? (laughs) Remember that interaction? I was that is kind of an analogy for our respective oh, golly, personalities. Was I was buying Levi's on sale, and you were buying Dockers. That's oh kind yeah, of the, the yin and yin and yang that we uh, we'll, we'll have to cultivate eventually. Are you still rocking the Dockers look? Um, I am. Well, I still have that same pair of Kahiki Dodger or Dockers. Yeah. Um, I'm more of a, a jeans guy now. I'm trying to make the move to uh, uh, made in Canada stuff. Um, actually to be a little bit more ethical in my purchasing power. Oh, um, okay. Where are you going uh, for that? How do you do that? Um, well, there's a, uh, a great company called, shout out to Unbranded, 
Um, they're, uh, I forget where they're, I think they're based in Mali, but they have a, a very high, uh, eco rating as well as, uh, um, employee, uh, like satisfaction rating. Okay. Um, and they sell raw salvage denim, um, like at, uh, at cost. So at, um, I don't know how they're, how it's sustainable for them, mm. Mm. but, um, no, it's their big thing is we're not a brand. We're unbranded. You wouldn't know what brand these jeans or this jacket or these shirts are. Um, so, no, I'm, I'm trying to make the move to more of a made in Canada. But I got to admit, those Dockers whew, are stellar, stellar quality. I've so. owned, I think I've owned one pair. They're probably my dad's. I think I've owned one pair when I was younger, <laughs> but they... I remember just them being, you know, because I got to admit, I, and I'm going to put Levi's on blast here a little bit. I bought a couple pairs of Levi's recently, and it, the the workmanship is not there. The quality is not there. And I think this is probably a well-documented phenomenon in, you know, circles of folks who fetishize jeans. But they, the, the quality has gone downhill. I think there was some, you, there's probably at least a couple markers over the past decade or two decades or something where their manufacturing practices changed such that they, the quality of the pants just, you know, went, went downhill. Um, it certainly ain't the same. Yeah, no. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm also trying to find, uh, you know, a better close wear. Partly I'm fantasizing it because, and I, um, should have mentioned this earlier. I broke my leg. So I've got a big what? cast on and I have, I'm forced to wear sweatpants all damn day because that's the only thing that fits over the cast. So I spend my days fantasizing about the, the pants I'll wear, the real people pants I'll wear out in public. <laughs> um, I, have no, I had no idea how much of our humanity is tied up in the, in the pants we wear. It's, it turns out to be quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> my goodness. Wow. Well, how did you break your leg, if you mind me asking? I was in Aurelia uh, with... Um, for friends of mine, I play in a rock band. We were shooting a music video. We decided to go to a skateboard park, and uh, none of us had remembered uh, had, had skateboarded in a long time. The spirit of the music video was that we were going to revisit skateboarding, set ah. a goal for ourselves. Uh, you know, it was particularly these five very basic tricks that we're going to you know knock off before uh, you know we leave, and we're not leaving until we do. Got on the board, did our little live set, uh, you know, live performance recording sessions, and then second half of the day, start doing these uh, tricks. And it's something basic, right? It's like, you know, uh, okay, start off, uh, ollie onto this thing, you jump on this with the skateboard up onto this box. And um, I took a pretty big bail off that, rolled on my back. It, it looked good, though. Um, and after a couple more attempts, I got that. So that was great. Um, and then the second one was a little shove it, spin the board 180 degrees. And all the while we're doing this, there's like 13 year olds who are like looking at us and laughing at us. But that was part of the, <laughs> part of the, the, the stakes, right? We were, it's we were motivation right there. Exactly. Well, it, yeah, it's something to, to rage against at least in our old age. Um, so do this little spin trick. Got that. Do uh, you know, spin it the other way. Um, got that, uh, enlisted the help of, uh, you know, uh, of someone else who is actually, I shouldn't say they're alive. They're all very nice. And they were all very, I think they admired us old farts coming out and, and doing our thing. Um, had one of them help me out a little bit, show me how to get to a kickflip and, uh, worked on that for a while. Um, you know, labored, finally managed to land that. And then the last thing I wanted to do before we left, because I've always been very scared of it my mind has repelled against it and body was to drop in on a um, half pipe 
Oh, not, gosh. Not, oh. Not, not a big half pipe, just a, you know, maybe five and a half foot tall, um, you know, you know what I'm talking about. The, it's, it's a half pipe, right? Um, so that, that was the, the pinnacle and remains the, 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 the pinnacle of, of what, you know, scares me the most and what I was never able to quite, you know, push past when I was skateboarding in my youth. Um, I shouldn't say my, when I was younger, right? I'm not, I'm not an old guy now. Um, you know, 10 years ago or something when I was, when skateboarding was a regular part of my life. So I get up on top of this thing. Um, I'm getting coaching from, uh, you know, uh, one guy in our band who actually does do this and is capable. He said, you got to stomp the board down. You got to stand on it with, you know, your right foot or your back foot on the lip and you have to commit. You have to push past the mental barrier that what you are doing is falling. You are hurling your body at the ground very fast um, with no biological uh, 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 reassurance that you will be okay if you do this right. <laughs> and that's what it is, right? And so, um, so much of what skateboarding, uh, you know, what drew us there and what continues to kind of, I admire about skateboarding is that um, the amount of failure that's required. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld has an episode of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee with Chris Rock where he talks about, um, you know, briefly, you know, whenever I see, he says, do you know, he's talking to Chris, do you say, do you know how much failure it takes to land uh, a skateboard trick you have to do that trick hundreds and hundreds of times and you don't just have to do it with uh, a, a you know a, a laid-back uh, approach you have to be actively critically analyzing every step you know how you're kicking the board up how it's snapping how your other foot is dragging across it you have to be looking yeah. at your own mistakes and thinking actively about every single part of it um, my problem for a long time when I was skateboarding, the reason I never got good at it was I just liked, I think, walking around with a skateboard. And I wasn't really interested in, you know, in being critical about my myself and, and you know, committing to trying to make this better. I would just kick it up and, you know, if it didn't work, it didn't work. And if it was easy, I would stick with it. So I wanted to change that. And I wanted to revisit that. So <laughs> Seinfeld says to Rock, he says, uh, whenever I see kids on skateboards, I think to myself, those kids are going to be okay. And I found that incredibly inspirational and, and, and motivational. So I said, okay, I need to go back to skateboarding. I need to, you know, I need to, you know, treat this the way I treat, you know, other things and, and try and get that ethic more in my life. So I'm on top of this ramp. I'm thinking, okay, you know, I need to stomp it down. I need to commit to it. I need to, you know, I try it a couple of times and I slip and I slide and it's not working perfectly. And then eventually I said, okay, I need to pot commit to this thing. I just need to throw myself at the ground. So, I stomp it down, uh, or I try to stomp it down, and I feel just, I hit the, the wall of commitment, the mental barrier, and my body doesn't commit fully to it, and so my right foot comes off, but my left foot stays on the board, and the uh, constant is that I'm kind of in a splits going down oh. the ramp, where my one foot is behind me, it's my coward foot, and it's not doing what I want it to do, and my left foot is the, the brave foot, so I just kind of, you know, get torn in half essentially and my um if you can imagine my heel um you know up was up at my uh hip my right hip right heel at my right hip um but then i kind of came down on that you know um so that what happened was my foot twisted away from my knee and my knee hit the the thing and my ankle hit the thing at the same time anyway long story short um i you know it felt very bad and I got up and I tried to walk and I couldn't really walk. And I said, whatever, this is going to be, you know, I got to wait for this to cool off. Cause how cool is it going to be? I'm going to get up back up there and I'm going to say, all right, I'm going to do it again. And then I'm going to land it. And I'm going to stick it. But Oh, 
please don't tell me you did it again. <laughs> I, I, I got up and I couldn't walk. I couldn't. Okay. I, couldn't, I could put some weight on it. I was able to move around a little bit, um, but I, uh, you know, decided I made the mature decision at that point. Finally, that <laughs> it was uh, not not the best idea for me to uh, carry on with it. Drove home. I couldn't drive. Um, you know, my ankle was just not moving that way. Um, stopped for a coffee. Couldn't walk on it. Uh, got home. My wife, six months pregnant at the time, needless to say, very upset with me. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to go to the hospital, uh, but we went to see our OB, and I, you know, just casually said, "What? I, you know, can you look at my ankle? It's probably a little banged up. It's probably a bad sprain or something." And she looks at yeah. it and she goes, "Oh no! Oh, you, you, you need to go to the hospital, you fool." Um, so I I go there and, uh, you know, go to the ER, sit around, oh, whatever, it's fine, they're going to send me home with a nice pack. Um, Turns out I have what's called a mesonif fracture, which is where... That sounds like the fanciest fracture. Again, I I, I told you at the top of the talk, Harry, I play to win. So um, (laughs) the uh, top of my fibula has a hairline fracture, so it's, you know, about three inches long, clean break all the way through. And then my ankle, kind of the ball joint of the ankle, has some spider fractures going through it. Um, and the ER person says, uh, you know, she sees me walking around on it. After I get the x-ray results back, she's like, you need to sit down right now, you stupid boy, um, and get, <laughs> get these crutches because you're going to a fracture clinic because you broke your leg. Um, and I said, okay, fine. Uh, and they did an x-ray they said you know what we're probably gonna have to go in there we're probably gonna have to put some screws in you know break out the hardware store stuff um oh, gosh they gotta c- be a trip to hardware yeah did they, they do the ct scan they said you're the luckiest bastard in the world 95 percent of the people that get this fracture need surgery they need three screws put in their ankle um and you know it's it's like months it's a couple months off your feet uh and i've got a baby coming in in three months uh and he says to me, uh, after the results come in, you're the luckiest son of a bitch. You don't need surgery. Looks like everything is where it should be. So um, six weeks, you're in a hard cast. I'm coming up on it's, – it's a week today I get this hard cast off, and then I can uh, – and then I'm in an air cast, and then hopefully I'm, I'm back up and walking around for when my baby boy arrives. Oof. So that's, that's, that's how I broke my – eh? Yeah, I mean it's forced into – it, it, it's two ideologies, two feelings that I think I had that are, <laughs> they are, it's probably the, you know, it, it's been the biggest vehicle for growth and maturity I think I've had in a long time because my initial and what I felt was pure of heart, you know, motivation was, you know what, we're getting older, but, you know, we got to keep doing what makes us feel young and what, you know, keeps us, you know, doing new things and, and, and challenging and, and not being self-conscious. Um, but we got to try and do it in a way where we're not, you know, like assholes wearing, you know, 50-year-olds wearing Ed Hardy t-shirts and trying to be cool. We just got to, oh, you know, compete against yourself and try. I really liked that aspect of it. I liked, you know, I was never a competitive sports guy, but I liked that, you know, s- skateboarding, like rock climbing was an individual pursuit and you were all, all, only ever competing against yourself. Um, and, and it re- took discipline, and I thought, that's something I need more of in my life. Uh, <laughs> but then I realized, oh, you know, wow, I'm, I'm going to be a dad, and suddenly things that might seem like, you know, character exercises for me 
have just as much opportunity to um, you know take away from my ability to be a good dad or or to support you know the people in my life and my family that I, I care about and I I need to to be able to take care of so um, wow. We need to, uh, you know, we're, we're taking another look at the music, at the music video, the arc there. You know, we were hoping to have it, you know, all this great, you know, three-act Hollywood structure where, oh, I land it. But now it's, you know, you kind of have to find a way, a genuine way of telling that story where, okay, I, I've set out, I, I've undergone a character change, right? Now I unwillingly and under a documented eye gone through this feeling where now, as admirable as it might be, you know what? What's good for me isn't necessarily. You know, it put my it puts me at undue unnecessary risk, and I need to, you know, minimize my exposure to that while still setting, I think, a good example for my my son to be, who's going to look back at this music video when I am, and you know, inevitably a, a rock star, and I don't have time for this little <laughs> podcast and everything. Um, hey, God, that's the one thing I probably the greatest quality I took away from. Uh, like knowing you and working with you is the manner in which you're able to find the learning experience out of everything. Right. And being able to like go through, going through this experience, like I don't wish to speak on your behalf, but you probably felt like, damn, this sucks, yada, yada. But you, you, is you're a person who just comes and you just rebounds to the learning moment. Like, okay, this is why. And just being able to have those big thoughts in your head, while you're going through such a, a strenuous time and being able to share them so eloquently, I think it's just such a noble and uh, um, not too appreciated uh, quality to have. I, so. I appreciate that. It's um, I, I, I think the, it, it, it comes from a place of, I don't know. I, I, I used to build swimming pools and it, it was the, <laughs> Uh, it, love it, that segue. Love that segue. It, it's it, I used to, we used to do concrete, and a concrete is a high pressure, um, you know, uh, situation because things are literally drying and setting as you're doing it, and that's one of the most formative jobs I ever had, and I, I'm eternally grateful for the folks who let me do it. But the approach you have to have is just try it, do something, even if you don't know how to do it. If you fuck it up, don't fuck it up too bad, and then learn from it and keep going. Um, and it's it's something I've tried to carry with me for for as as long as I can. Anyway, um, I'm going to set aside two minutes for myself to complain about having a cast. Having a cast is the worst. I'm not as as as, <laughs> as you know magnanimous as as I might set myself aside to be. Having a cast is in itself a a a prison physically, mentally. It's it's the absolute worst. You feel it, you know, as a, a mobile guy, healthy, relatively healthy guy. Being to, it's like a chastity belt. Being told you can't do something, you can't bend your ankle this way, is more painful than the actual, you know, the 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 break itself. It's it's awful, and I'm tempted so many times just to rip this thing off. But Mel has threatened literally to kill me if I did that because <laughs> I could you just be. have like a little nail file. Just slowly, I, I, just. I've thought or it's tin snips, man. You need those big, strong tin snips—the one you use to cut sheets of metal. And uh, I, I think I've got them somewhere in this basement. I've got enough tools down here. I just need to cut this goddamn thing off. And but I'm I'm being a good boy and I'm waiting the full 
six weeks um, to take it off because she does have a point. If I were to fuck myself up anymore, that would be I wouldn't be able to drive her to the hospital and that would not be good for anyone. So, ah, uh, yes, the long game. Yeah. Yeah. Think again. This is the lesson. You got to think, uh, think, think a little longer term. <laughs> so, oh, man, that's me. Um, we've been talking for an hour and 10 minutes, which is great. How are you feeling? Do you, do you, should we call it there? I feel like we've been pretty good. Have, have I passed my, my test, my muster? Where are we? Well, golly, this has been a real treat and a half to have this as being the first podcast episode. Um, yeah, you know what? Um, for me, I believe you've passed. But I'm more so a, a man who allows the market to uh, think for itself. So... Uh, um, we're going to have to hear what they say. Okay. That's fair. That well, makes me a little nervous, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> Don't you worry. And you certainly inspired the name of this podcast episode, um, uh, to the whole, uh, your, your brilliant segue of, uh, oh, well, I used to make swimming pools. I, I think that, pools. I think, I think that encapsulates <laughs> the, the entirety of this pod as being, uh, the inaugural pod and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I think we're good for today. Okay. Um, good, good. Yeah, then, how do you feel? Are you good? I'm, I'm good. I feel good. I, I, I will quit while we're ahead before we descend into boredom. <laughs> or Brilliant. Boredom, awesome. Uh, Harry, it was a pleasure as always. We'll, uh, we'll chat after this. Um, but good talking to you, man. And, and okay. congratulations on your inaugural podcast episode. You're officially a digital media professional. All your other stuff didn't count. This is what <laughs> Until you wow. have a podcast that no one listens to, you are not... Uh, a digital media person. <laughs> Perfect. Cue the triumphant music. There so. you go. All right. Take it easy, man. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Bye.